Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Catholic Connect podcast. So glad that you joined us here on another beautiful day that the Lord has made. Welcome to all our listeners from across Canada, the United States, or wherever you listen to this podcast in our fantastic universal church. Quote, how can there be too many children? That is like saying there are too many flowers, end quote, from the great Mother Teresa of Calcutta. What an amazing life and a legacy that she's left of love and charity and of course a love for life right from conception to natural death and the timing couldn't be any better because of course we're still celebrating not only in the catholic church but uh, all people of goodwill around the world the overturning of roe versus wade and uh, to help us understand a little bit about this decision what it means for the pro-life movement uh, just had a fantastic conversation that I'm so excited to share with you on this podcast with Camille Pauly, and she is the co-founder of Healing the Culture and uh, co-founded with a priest that many of you already know, Father Robert Spitzer. You've seen his work on EWTN and many other platforms as well. And, uh, you know, I think it's so important that we know that being pro-life, first, we've got to be holy, and we talk about that in this conversation as well. But pro-life is more way more than being one dimensional and saying that, uh, you know, we are against abortion. Of course, we want to see abortion, uh, become absolute history, the dustbin of history forever, whether you're in the United States or anywhere in the world. But, uh, we're more than a one dimensional group here, us pro-lifers. Uh, there's so many different, uh, it's a very dynamic position to take. And I think you're going to see it throughout this conversation that, uh, that, uh, we need to engage the culture with charity, but with firmness and in confidence in our position, but also to listen and to to meet people where they're at and to journey with them, but certainly not to leave them where they're at. We've talked about this before in Jesus and the Gospels when he forgives people. Yeah, he goes and meets them there, but he never leaves them there. And in this particular situation, of course, we're talking about crisis pregnancies and we cannot leave our sisters in Christ where they're at we've got to meet them where they're at and support them love them and uh, and then in the the bigger picture to engage the culture um, with confidence and with conviction because we know that our our position is the correct position i really believe that and of course uh, jesus christ is going to be with us every step of the way when we do this because when we're proclaiming the truth we know that the holy spirit's going to be with us to provide us with the right words at the right time And I'll tell you right now, the Holy Spirit's never let me down and will never let you down either. So always invoke the Holy Spirit in everything that you do so that we can be a bold proclaimer of Jesus Christ and the gospel. So without further ado, so excited to share this conversation with Camille Pauly. We'll see you on the other side of the interview, my friends. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Well, Camille Pauly is the co-founder and president of a fantastic nonprofit organization called Healing the Culture, and where the focus is to educate and evangelize people to be deeply, authentically, and permanently pro-life. So Camille has over 25 years of experience as a professional pro-life advocate and has inspired, trained, and educated millions on effectively defending the sanctity of human life. And she's here to help us Canucks and all people of goodwill to help unpack the overturning of Roe versus Wade and uh, among other things in between. So welcome to our sister in Christ, Camille Pauly, to the Catholic Connect podcast. Hi, David. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. And living in South Dakota too, right, Camille? So 
We're yeah. just saying you have an appreciation for extreme and unpredictable weather as uh, most of us in the in Canada are familiar with, right? <laughs> it's kind of crazy. We moved here from Seattle last year and it's very predictable in Seattle. It's going to rain. <laughs> it's going to be cloudy, <laughs> and, right? Yeah. And when it doesn't rain, it's going to rain soon. <laughs> Those are our two weathers. That's but the here, forecast. Yeah. Oh no my kidding. gosh. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, we had what? Tennis ball sized hail, <laughs> Oh boy! crazy wind, you know, then it was hundred degrees and now it's a nice uh, 80 degrees outside. And then it gets uh, to rent. We get horrible wind. So yeah, you never know what you're going to get. And it's exciting. And I am growing to love it. Well, that's good. Right on a lot of farmers out there too, right? In South Dakota. So, yes. And there's a lot of farmers out here in the prairies as well. Yep. So no, Praying thanks for again. For, absolutely. And that's well, that's the great thing about farmers. You got to rely on God's providence, don't you? To have a, uh -huh. a good crop. So you do. That's really cool. Well, Camille, I'm really excited to chat with you. Maybe before we get into uh, some of the meat and potatoes of our, our topic today, maybe share some of the, uh, how the seeds of faith were planted in your uh, life, uh, probably early in your life, and how you came to to be involved so heavily in the pro-life movement? Well, my parents were good, strong Catholics, had six children. So I've got five siblings and uh, they were very good at catechizing us themselves. You know, this was in the seventies and eighties where religious instruction at parishes was not at its peak performance, shall I say. Sure, yeah. So my parents took us out of Catholic schools and, uh, and really educated us in our faith themselves and did a phenomenal job. But it, were, it was the Baptists who lived across the street from me who mm. first approached me as a high schooler and asked me if I would come with them to witness in front of an abortion clinic. Mm. I might have been maybe 15, 16 years old, and I knew what abortion was. I knew it was bad. I'd learn a little bit about it, but I thought, pray in front of a clinic? Can you do that? <laughs> you know, I'd never done that before or seen it or heard it. And I thought, yes, I'll go. And I did. And they were singing and praying and witnessing. And I was watching these women go into the clinic pregnant, looking scared and anxious. And I watched them come out with this dead blank stare in their eyes that they wouldn't look at us. And I, I knew they were empty, you know, physically as well as spiritually coming out of the clinic. And it convicted me that this is real. This is not just something for an, a high schooler to be excited about that we get to, you know, do something and be activist. This is real. It's really happening. And people are dying and women are dying and being abused and tortured inside of those clinics. And it's happening legally under Roe mm. versus Wade. And it convicted me to do something about it. So I spent the rest of my life building pro-life organizations and student clubs. And, uh, that's where I got my start. Oh, that's awesome. And you know, it's, uh, it's so profound. I know the first time I ever went outside of an abortion clinic and, and prayed, uh, what you see there, uh, it was part of the um, 40 Days for Life. I'm sure you're probably yes. familiar with those folks, right, Camille? Yes. So we have uh, we have that ministry up here at Edmonton and in Calgary as well in Alberta. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's hard not to to walk away and be profoundly touched by what you see, and um, you know the the emotion of of definitely like a like a sadness um, that of, sad. of the yes. women you're, that go in there. And, you're connected yeah. to every human being because mm. you know we're all part of the body of Christ, and so you are connected to every one of those babies who die and you are connected to every one of those women and even the clinic escorts and the abortionists, we are all connected. And so the grief, the if you can have empathy with them, the grief you feel is very profound. And I think that's one thing that sometimes pro-lifers don't focus on is having empathy with mm. the abortionists, with pro-choice mm -hmm. people, with activists, with the women seeking abortion, because you are already connected to them. And to not have empathy means that we can't respond to their needs as they truly are. 
And I felt a gift of empathy that day. Mm. And it helped me to realize that it was not enough to stand on the sidelines because I was young. My activism wasn't always healthy, shall we say, <laughs> you know, in college, I did some pretty radical pro-life things and, um, you know, no, nothing, you know, nothing dangerous or, you know, violent or anything like that. None of that kind of thing. But, but the witness that we did as college students was uh, pretty provocative. And I, I learned over time that there are things that you do in the pro-life movement that you may be doing more for yourself than for the other side, than to evangelize or change anybody. And it took me a while to grow out of that, um, you know, out of that immaturity and into a kind of pro-life activism that's more focused on what the woman needs, on what the, the, the legislators need, right? On what the voter really needs and what the human heart really needs. And that, that's where I fell in love with the movement. I, I ended up meeting Father Robert Spitzer, yes. who was the president of Gonzaga University back in 1993 late end of 1992. That's when that was the year of the woman Democrat in America and Bill Clinton was elected and, you know, nobody could figure out how it happened. <laughs> you know, there was all this confusion. And, um, and so father Spitzer came out and said, we need a whole new approach to pro-life evangelization. We need a philosophy of the pro-life movement that teaches people why we are pro-life at the very mm. beginning, not mm. just about the unborn child, but about us. What is happiness? What is success? What is quality of life? What does freedom mean? What does it mean to be a human person? And I fell in love with his methodology. And so I went to work for him in 1993 and uh, kind of changed from the activist to the educational uh, kind of approach. It's so hard for us. I know, and I was the same way too, even though it came to evangelization when it comes to apologetics in the church as well. You know, when you're young, you kind of, well, you're just more emotional than it seems, right? And you kind of yeah. talk about going to the nuclear reason. option, right? You go <laughs> push really hard. And instead you've of pushing- You've got to have that zeal. Yeah. It gets you out of bed every morning to do something. And so you need young people to have that kind of zealousness. For sure. And it's just a way to harness it and control it so that I can do good as opposed to pushing people away. And I know that sometimes, even though my message was 100% correct, yes. <laughs> the methodology of, of going about doing it was not always the best way to go, right? And, yes. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, there is something to be said for that zealousness. And it seems like in young people, we don't always see that, right, Camille? It's, uh, um, and maybe it's just a, a product of the culture itself where it's like, oh, you know, we see all this information. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, I think we're seeing that here in the last couple of days. And we're going to see in the weeks ahead is that you get this, um, you know, what, what the others have called misinformation, disinformation. I don't even know what that means, really. Um, but, uh, you know, they kind of push that, this, this narrative out there. And people of goodwill and, you know, people in our church too, Camille, I think they want to say something. They want to, they want to say, yes, we do believe that, uh, that life is sacred and, and euthanasia is another thing I know that you, you touch on as well in your ministry. Mm -hmm. And it's a big deal in Canada, as you know, mm -hmm. already, we seem to be um, so far ahead with, uh, with these, uh, these sins against life, uh, even further ahead than the United States, it seems, but uh yeah. How do we, um, I guess, go to, to Roe versus Wade? We know that there's other, there's another, a, a bigger story here, right? But mm -hmm. um, for, for folks like myself and, and other people that are just, you know, trying to live their life, their daily vocation in life, you see all this noise coming from so many different directions, right? And it's like, you know, how do you kind of sort through this and say, you know, with conviction and with, uh, with some courage saying that, yes, I am pro-life and here's the reasons why. Maybe it's maybe kind of start there, I guess, with us. Well, most people who are pro-life will not be engaged in politics or legislative work. Most people right. who are pro-life will be engaged in 
the educational work. They won't even be engaged in activist work. They'll be doing education and they don't even know it. Um, and so what, what we try to do at Healing the Culture is help people to become intentional evangelists in the way that you talk and approach people. And a lot of people are fearful and are kind of evangelists in waiting because <laughs> they're waiting for the right moment or they're waiting for the right thing to say. Um, and they don't even realize that even by your witness of how you act and what you wear and how you talk and how you live your life, you are witnessing to the pro-life movement. Mm. The, at the basic core of pro-life beliefs is the belief that every human being has intrinsic value and worth and dignity, and that we are made for self-sacrifice, common cause with one another, radical generosity, um, and, and love, charity towards our neighbor. If you're living those ideals outwardly in every opportunity that's presented itself to you, you are doing pro-life evangelization, right? Mm -hmm. The second part of pro-life evangelization is, they, is when someone wants to hurt someone or harm someone, and then you tell them why you can't do that and you stand up against it. But that's the second part, right? Being pro-life is not primarily about stopping abortion. Although don't get me wrong about that, right? That is our huge objective. But but being pro-life is primarily about human beings living to their highest potential, mm. which automatically excludes abortion. Why? Not because abortion is bad, which it is, but because love is good. Right? Mm. That's what motivates us as pro-lifers. Love is good. And the human person is good. And there is a real God and he is good. Right? And then abortion is bad becomes the second thing. You don't do this because it's why. It's contrary to love. So the primary thing we as pro-lifers have to realize is that even if you are just educating your children or your grandchildren or your friends in what real love is and what it means by your acts, by how you treat them, by what you say when the opportunity arises, you are doing pro-life evangelization. So you shouldn't be afraid of being pro-life or ashamed or embarrassed. Far from it. Being pro-life is the most amazing, beautiful work you can do because it's the most inspiring. It's the other side that is reduced to just talking about my body, my choice, right? Fetuses. That's all they ever talk about, right? And our side is saying, wait a minute, this is about love and goodness and justice and truth and your fulfillment. And, uh, and that's what makes it so positive to be a pro-lifer, right? And then to say abortion kills a child who is a being made for love. That's why it's wrong. Not just because it's a baby and it's cute, because this is a being made for love just as you are. So we try to change, Healing the Culture, we're trying to change the way people think about how they do pro-life evangelization. And it becomes so much easier for people to do it when they see it from that perspective. And do you think that is the best option or the best approach because you know you know you can go to the science side the, the you know the other side say well you know the science says this or the science says that well the science also says that you know when you're when you're a mom and you have a baby in you that's not really your body in there anymore right. it's it's right. it's a totally a separate person right it's a, it's a new being yes. created by god right but yeah what would you say to and, and we hear this all the time you know, that uh, the pro-life people, you only care about kids until they're, mm -hmm. uh, you know, outside the womb, then you, you, you forget about them. I have obviously something that I do not hold at all. I think that right. the, that the, the evidence would point strongly against in uh, what we've done in the Catholic church over the centuries. But what would you say to people? Like well, the best approach to take with somebody, David, is the approach that that person needs the most. 
So not, mm. not everybody needs the approach that I use. Some people really are almost there and are there in their hearts and their souls with us already on what the meaning of life is, but mm. they don't know that it's a human person. They, they, they haven't really seen it. All they've heard is it's a blob of cells. So in that instance, you may need to bring in biology, right? Or somebody else may be afraid of the law and slippery slopes and things like that. And you need to educate them on politics or somebody else may be afraid of, you know, well, what about overpopulation? And they haven't been educated about mm. the overpopulation myths. So I'm not shooting down those tactics. They're very, very important. But more often than not, we don't even identify what it is that our opponent needs the most. We're speaking about what I care about or what I think is a great argument or what I think they need to hear. If somebody says to me, you know, I, you know, your, your argument, wait, what was your argument? And I've lost it. <laughs> You're asking me to respond to a particular. No, no, I think you're, you're nailing it there, yeah. uh, Camille. It was just more like, you know, do you talk about the science with someone? Yeah. It seems so obvious when there's, there's two bodies there, my body, my choice, but there's yeah, a yeah. baby there, right? So it's not your body. Yeah, your so when somebody's right? saying this is my body and this is my choice, I'm not going to start telling them, but it's a, it's a human being. And here's why right. I'm going to say, why do you think that? Hmm. Or when they say to me, all you care about is, is children before they're born. You don't care about the woman. I would say to them, who told you that? And why do you believe that that's true? Mm -hmm. Then I want to listen to them because I can't figure out how to answer that question until I know why they believe this myth. And more often than not, they'll just look at me with a blank stare. Like, well, that's what you believe. I mean, that's what CNN says, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Yeah, we, have, we have something <laughs> called the CBC up here. That's kind of like the CNN. <laughs> right, right. That's what <laughs> yeah. Fauci told me. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm glad you're talking to me then because right. you, you need to talk to pro-life people to know what I really believe. And that's not what I believe. I believe mm. you are just as valuable as that unborn child. And I think that abortion is killing you. It's mm. killing your soul and it's hurting you. Can we talk about that? You know, and then people are like, what? Why are we talking about that? I thought you only cared about unborn. Well, no, that's what you've been led to believe. Mm. But if we don't ask questions of our opponents and really listen to them, we don't know what they need. And we're talking to ourselves. Hundred mm, percent. Yeah, and and I, I mean, I know I'm guilty of that too. Just ask my wife that sometimes I don't do enough <laughs> listening, and maybe I ask too many questions. But <laughs> but uh, but no, Kimba, I think you, you you nailed it right there. I think that's so important that we listen and see where people are at. Um, I did want to say too that you know when it comes to you know just this whole approach of of being pro life, and it, it makes a lot of sense because we've already talked that you know you came from a large family you have, you have several siblings i i do as well mm -hmm. and uh you know as soon as you say you're you're in the church and you say okay i've got uh how many kids i got two kids i got four kids i got eight kids right and some people will say well you know what's going on like how could you have that many children right mm -hmm. but you know what i think it's um even for for us and and i mentioned to you offline that we have a, a special needs child who's just like winning the lottery with with emily she has down syndrome but um the environment that people are into, it's, it's, it's different as well. Like in our, in our family, like between my, myself and my six siblings, I think we have 30, 33 children. Wow. So when you have lots of, I, it's like winning the lottery again, having that many nephews and nieces. Um, but do you know what it's, does that make sense? You can, you know, it's the environment we're in. It's, oh, you have so many kids. It's like, yeah, but it's, everybody's so welcome in our family. Like, it's like, oh, we have another kid, another Another yeah. cousin, another yeah. nephew and niece. You I know, know what you're saying. Everybody's so excited, right? But not and everybody's to, like that. Right? We need to invite them into that excitement. And sometimes you can use humor too. I have a friend, Eileen Geller, and when she was, uh, you know, quite some years ago when she was starting her family and she had little ones, she had about four of them at the time and they were all at a restaurant eating and the little ones were kind of antsy. And there was an older couple um, sitting next to them at a, at a table and they were, they looked obviously bothered. And so they came up to my friend at the end of the meal and they said to Eileen, the woman said, you know, my husband and I got together 
when we first got married and we decided that there are too many people in this world. And so mm. we decided not to have any children. And Eileen just looked at her and smiled real big. You know, she could have been insulted, but she smiled so big. And she said, well, you know what? My husband and I got together and we decided there are too many bad people in the world. So we made a whole bunch of good people. Nice. <laughs> and she just smiled. And the woman just, you know, I don't know what she thought of that, but she, she walked away and it, it gave her something to think about, I'm sure. But the joy in Eileen's face is contagious. And so I'm sure she left a little mark there. But we have to not be afraid or offended or scared about what am I going to say or intimidated and just share the joy that's in you, no matter what the words are that come out, you know, share it with joy. And she did. Oh, for sure. And you think of the, I hate to say the glory years of the Catholic church, but in North America, especially here in Canada too, we really are a Catholic nation. Camille, that's where we started was Catholicism, right. And, and these large families, same in the United States as well. And I think that's why the words of Venerable Sheen, and I'm sure you're, you're also a a fan of of Sheen as most of us uh, listeners are, but you know, his message back then was he was kind of in the glory years of the church of someone that was on primetime TV and, and really promoting the gospel to the masses, right? Winning Emmy Awards. I mean, you know, you talk about, you know, people now of saying a priest was winning Emmy Awards. It wasn't that long ago, but it's true. That's what he did, right? Right. But his, uh, the, you know, these big families that, that Catholics used to have. And that's, you know, at, at that time, I mean, that's where the, the best years of our church really were. But we sure, sure have taken a bit of a hit here lately. But, uh, um, I did want to get into this, uh, this historical decision with you. I'm yes, sure you must good. be really excited. Camille, I because am. You've been involved with the, the movement and, uh, for such a long time and, and doing so much work there full time. That's what, that's what you do. Right. So, um, again, we're just getting inundated with all this, you know, it's crazy news information and, you know, up in Canada, we've got these, uh, uh virtue signaling politicians that come on and say, you know, we'll be, a like um, a sanctuary for people looking for abortions. Like, what are you talking <laughs> yeah. about, guys? Yeah. Um, but that's there's a lot more to this story than than what we're there seeing is. in the media, right? So yeah, there can you is. Explain people... to us. I know that the and, and some people don't even know about the Dobbs versus yeah. Jackson, even in the U.S., people are Women's confused about it. It's, yeah, that's so that's Satan's out of Mississippi, way. right? Yeah, yeah, Satan confuses Absolutely. us. That's what he does. And when people are confused, they're afraid, and then they believe whatever the loudest voices tell them. So 100%. to clear it up, so Roe versus Wade, as you know, David, it's not a law. It was a court right. case decision in 1973. And basically what it did was it struck down the Texas statute forbidding abortion and said, you can't have any laws against abortion and basically said abortion must be legal through all nine months of pregnancy um, because the unborn child is... Uh, there's no evidence that there's a human being there. And of course, then it said, if there ever is evidence that there is a human being present here, then this decision would have to be overturned. (laughs) So you fast forward to now, the state of Mississippi had a passed a law, a state law that outlawed abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. And it got challenged and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And that's what was heard on December 10th last year was this Dobbs case. And the central question was in the, in the Dobbs decision was two things. Well, there, there were more issues, but the two central questions were, were, is this a human being or is this something other than a human being? And the evidence was just so overwhelming biologically and medically uh, in the amicus briefs that were submitted and in the hearing there at the te- you know on December 10th that, that this is a human being. This is a being of human origin. Um, it has a full human genetic code. It's distinct from the mother and the father. It's obviously a human being. And then the other question was, what is the prevailing right over the right to life? What is the interest of the petitioners who are challenging the, the law? 
And their interest was the liberty interest of the woman. And then I think it was, I believe it was Justice Samuel Alito, if I'm not mistaken, the one who authored the Dobbs decision, who asked the attorneys on the pro-choice side, well, you know, well, no, it was Clarence Thomas, I think, who said, well, you know, you've got this, the liberty interest of the woman, but you've obviously got a a life right of the child, right? And the pro-choice attorney actually acknowledged that, yes, she said, at some point there is a life interest. Um, for the unborn at some point, quote unquote. Well, slam dunk. I mean, you've got a human being there. There is a life interest there and life has to take priority over the liberty interest because without life, liberty is a moot point. So you kind of knew through those hearings what was going to happen. What what the decision did that came out on Friday was it overturned Roe versus Wade. So it said no longer is there a court decision that mandates that all 50 states in the United States have to legalize abortion. And so the whole system of Roe versus Wade collapsed. The system of Roe versus Wade says every state has to allow abortion through all nine months of pregnancy in the first trimester. In the second trimester has to allow abortion for any reason whatsoever, can't exclude abortion, but it can uh, regulate how it's performed. Like a state could say it has to be done in a hospital or has to be done by a licensed physician. And in the third trimester, abortion can be regulated. It can be, um, you know, uh, made against the law unless there are exceptions. And then they listed a ton of exceptions in another court case um, at the time, which was life of the mother, health of the mother, age of the mother, familial reasons for the mother, psychological health. I mean, any reason would, would, would go. So when the justices said Roe versus Wade was overturned, they did so by showing that it was based on specious arguments. Um, it was it was a completely barbaric judicial decision, um, forcing judicial judicial. It was back basically judiciary activism, uh, forcing the decision. It was not a law, but states had to comply with it. By overturning it, what this did was it turned the decisions over to the states. So now. It did not make abortion automatically illegal in all 50 states. It didn't say anything at all about whether or not abortion can be legal. And it didn't say anything about the unborn child being a human person. I wish it had gone that far, but it didn't. Um, So now what happens is it's returned to the states and the states can set their own laws. There is no federal mandate for or against abortion. And so in the state of South Dakota, where I live, for example, abortion on that day on Friday became illegal in all circumstances, except to save the life of the mother. So abortions here are no longer performed. We only had one clinic anyway, to begin with in on the east side of the state, but there are about 20 states that now have abortion either totally outlawed or banned in most circumstances and about 20, 15 or 20 states that, uh, um, you know, have it uh, radically, um, you know, either radically allowed or under most circumstances. And then there's a handful of states that uh, you know, are kind of somewhere in the middle. So now the battle is on a state by state level. Yeah. And uh, back to the principle, the Catholic principle really of subsidiarity, right? Where yeah. We've, you know, you kind of start yeah, which bringing is where it, it back to the local level. Absolutely. If sure. anything, the federal government's involvement should simply be to declare that the unborn child is a human person, which we mm-hmm. know by philosophy and by biology that it is. I mean, mm-hmm. we do need a federal law. We've been trying to pass an amendment to the, to the United States constitution for years, uh, a human uh, personhood amendment and then a human rights amendment. But uh, that's that's a long battle that will just continue. What this did was a first step, an incremental approach. Right. Okay. No, that makes sense. I think a lot of people are asking that question too, is that if it was you know across the United States, which you know that's what it seems the media is saying. It's like, okay, you can't have an abortion at all. 
but it, yeah. it just gives the the power back to the states. Uh, yes, it's a, a local complete, level. To see it's what, a complete yeah. myth that they're saying that the the what the justices did is is force every woman is going to go to jail now when she has an mm. abortion. Mm. You know that is not true. Contraception is outlawed. That is not what the decision <laughs> did. You know, <laughs> so uh, you know. Uh, there's just so many lies going on. And a lot of it, David, is deliberate mm -hmm. because the media knows that when they scare people like that, then everybody gets upset and then everybody, there's yeah. a frenzy and then culture, you know, society will break down when they do that. And that's what they want. They want people to see, to, they're trying to vilify the Supreme Court and the pro-life movement and it's working to an extent. I mean, there's, there's a lot of chaos right now in the States. A lot of heat going towards the Catholic Church too. Yes. A lot of those justices are Catholic, which is I, yes. I find quite fascinating. Um, maybe just tell us a little bit. Actually, I, I do want to ask you one more question, just about you know the the short term. Um, uh, you know, how many months is this going to take? You already said there's 20 states that it's it's illegal right now. Is yeah, it, there's they call it a, a trigger law, quote unquote. A trigger they, law. I think there's 13 yeah. of them like that, 13, and then okay. there's up to 20 that if you know the the rest of them either have you know have very life saving. Um, laws in place, maybe not fully okay. uh, pro-life, but they're close. And so those are good, good ones. The problem now is keeping it that way because some of these states are not really strong. You know, they're, they're kind of what we call purple states, <laughs> neither sure. blue yeah. nor red, but kind of wishy in the middle. So it's going to be a battle. And even for my state, it's just one, you know, we're one election away every single year. We're one election away from, you know, losing the laws we have. So it's going to be quite a battle. And that's what I wanted to ask you is, it, is there, you know, ways that states can vote on this or is it really just yeah. depend on who's, you know, the governor? Is that kind of how it works in the, in the U.S.? Uh, in the U.S. state, it's formed through state law. So legislatures okay. come together and you have to have the Senate and the House of Representatives agree and pass a law together. And then it goes to the governor and the governor can either sign that law and it becomes law or veto it, in which case mm -hmm. then the Senate and the House would have to override the veto with usually it's a 60% vote. Sometimes it's more or a little bit less. Um, and if they override the veto, then it becomes law. Uh, so there are some states that are real battlegrounds right now. Obviously, Washington State, New York, California, New Jersey, you know, Rhode Island, these states are very solid pro-abortion. And the problem now is that they have, they, they are in such a rage and a frenzy now. Literally, they're I would call it a satanic rage that's going on in those states right now that you are, David, you are going to see laws passing in those states that are even more vicious than what you've seen before mm -hmm. that are going to vilify uh, innocent people that are going to probably tie the hands of churches that are going to declare, uh, you know, pro-life speech, hate speech that are going to take pregnancy centers and declare them illegitimate. Um, you know, you're going to see a lot more of that, which is such a tragedy because it's the pregnancy centers that are helping the women yes. who need them the most. The, the, these centers aren't political at all. And they're the ones yeah. that are being bombed, burned, defaced. Mm -hmm. And these are the clinics that are reaching the very women who are the victims in all of this, quietly serving them, quietly helping them, giving them what they need when they don't want to have abortions in the first place. Um, so this is really not about choice at all, but again, our opponents know that when they vilify even that part of the movement, they scare people into thinking there's nothing good about the so-called pro-life side. Um, right. And then they, they will follow the pro-choice movement anywhere, even into extreme violence. I think uh, if you look at what's happening in Canada, Camilla, for our American listeners, I think that would be the, um, I guess the beginning of what you might see in some of these other States, because we have no laws in Canada. Right. at all is abortion so right um you know it's and we have uh, even in alberta which uh, 
most people in Canada would consider, uh, you know, probably the most conservative province. Uh, we had a, uh, a, a left-leaning government just a, a few years ago that was, uh, that was kind of uh, the premier uh, and the, the government itself was uh, the, the New Democrats. So they're basically a socialist party. And they implemented this bubble zone around pregnancy yes. or around uh, abortion clinics. And uh, yeah. we actually have a real interesting um, setup in Edmonton where the abortion clinic, there is only one, but there's a crisis pregnancy center, a, a, a tremendous, fantastic one uh, called the back porch that is literally right across the street. As the uh, abortion clinic, that's yes, where you need to be. It's been like that. God bless you. Yeah, Such courage. Really awesome. And a lot of great, great stories coming out of, uh, out of the back porch there of, of, uh, women being, being helped and, and met where they're at. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, these kids that are being born into our world and blessing all of us with their, their presence on earth. But, um, yeah, I think that you'll probably see something like that in those States. Uh, now you mentioned something about a veto at the, uh, the state level. I know one thing that a few people have asked me in the last couple of days, is this something that the president of the United States could veto <laughs> this Roe v. Wade thing? I, I don't know. I'm well, just asking you. Yeah. The president is making, First of all, Congress, you know, our United States Senate and our United States House of Representatives are all in the control of liberal Democrat um, pro-choice people, mm-hmm. as as is the presidency. So they they have all three right now. And there's a lot of chain rattling that they're going to pass, you know, a congressional law codifying Roe versus Wade, which they certainly can do. I would very I would be very surprised if they were able to do that anytime in the near future, because there are a lot of swing states where <laughs> the congressmen know that voting for something like that is not going to go over well in their constituency. So it, it's all political um, right now. So there's a lot of chain rattling. It is something they certainly could do. Uh, and then President Biden has rattled his chain saying, I'm not going to wait for Congress to pass a law codifying Roe versus Wade and making abortion legal in all 50 states. I'm going to do what's called an executive order, right? Mm. The the president does have supposedly limited um, powers to issue executive orders on certain things. And uh, it's been extremely abused, especially under Barack Obama, the presidency of Barack Obama uh, Mm. abused the executive orders privileges. And so Biden, you know, what you hear on his side is saying, I'm going to issue an executive order that will require abortion is legal in all 50 states that would not pass court muster. He doesn't have the authority to do that. It would instantly be challenged. And um, unless there is, you know, just a reign of terror and chaos in this country, which (laughs) I can't count out, um, that just simply wouldn't hold up in in the States. Hmm. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of chain rattling, but I would say to people, you know, don't let the, the people who are uh, the extremists, you know, trying to scare everybody, uh, you know, prevent us from using logic and reason. There is still the rule of law in the United States. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't look yeah. like that when you watch certain channels on TV, sure. but there is certainly still the rule of law. You do not see in the streets all over the United States, fire and arson and bombing and people raging through the streets and stealing things and breaking windows. That is in isolated instances in big cities and liberal areas where the um, in local government has, you know, defanged the police and basically gotten rid of anybody who could put an end to that sort of thing. But in most areas of the United States, uh, you know, they're, they're, the majority here is pro-life. Mm. It's a very silent pro-life, but the majority is pro-life. And so what you're seeing on TV is not the reality of the United States. It's still quite a, you know, quite a, a healthy population of, of freedom lovers and people who love the faith and, and love unborn children. 
For sure. And, and again, it goes back to what people are trying to do on an everyday basis. They're, they're working, they're with their children, yes. they're raising their kids, they're, they're busy right. doing their things in their house, which they're supposed to do, the domestic church. And, uh, but I think, you know, God is calling, maybe not everybody, but definitely some more of us to, to be a little bit more active, right? And more aware of what's going on. Yes, we on need to be world, more active. Right? My, yeah. my husband, his whole life is involved in politics and pro-life politics. Right. He just got appointed as the executive director of the South Dakota Catholic Conference. So this is, you know, where he moves is in the political realm. And we need to be involved in politics. One of the things you notice is that faith-filled Christian people they move towards their activism in the family, in their church, in their homes, their communities, and their work. That's what we do. We're busy every day at work. We're productive citizens. We're not committing crimes. We're taking care of our own families. We're not, you know, sucking up all of the, you know, welfare because we're working hard. We're building our churches. But people who do not have God at the center of their lives, they need to make a God and, go and government becomes their God. So sadly, uh, most of, you know, and this is true in Canada too, Sadly, most of our government and civil positions are taken by people who are godless because that's where they find their meaning and their purpose and their mm. unity and their, you know, their sense of fulfillment and their sense of common cause and doing something good with their lives. And, and meanwhile, we, the ones who have the truth and real justice and real freedom, we're too busy taking care of our families and our big families, right? Yeah. <laughs> and our yeah. Down syndrome children and our, you know, and our churches yeah. and our schools to be involved in government. But we have to stop thinking that way mm. because government has has a power that will overwhelm you as and can do real damage and can kill people um, as we have seen for the past 50 years uh, and enslave people as we saw prior to that. So we need good people to be more willing to consider careers in government and in politics and in the judiciary. And I guess that ties into to public opinion and uh, how people feel about abortion, generally speaking. I think in Canada, it seems like it's not that, uh, you know, when you ask somebody a point blank question, will you, you support abortion? Well, they'll probably say yes, but most people would, but there's so many other things that you need to, to factor in, right? It's not just a simple, you know, you support abortion or do you believe in a woman's right to choose? You know, these questions all kind of set you up to kind of put you in one direction. And it's usually the, the prevailing narrative, right? Right. The culture is not converted. Right. And so we have this, this, uh, I guess a, a judiciary decision or a judicial decision, I, I should say. And, um, but our, our culture is not converted to Christ and to the truth. So that's how do why, we unpack that? Yeah. That's why you have abortion. You don't yeah. have abortion because people think abortion is great. We have abortion because people are trying to escape from su suffering as we always right. do. And as we should do, we're trying to escape. I mean, even Christ did when he said, take this cup from me, right? Father, if there's another mm -hmm. way to achieve the salvation of mankind, can we do that instead? So he invites us to ask God to take away our suffering but not at the expense of love. So our, you know, our opposition is trying to avoid suffering and trying to find happiness. And that's where we need to go. I was actually, David, I was on the steps of the Supreme court on Friday when the decision came out, which I, right. I, it was a complete coincidence. I was there with students for life of America. I had been invited to do a training at a conference they had over the weekend. And so on Friday morning at nine o'clock, I got up on the stage and I trained, I was training for an hour, about 250 pro-life college students from all over the United States in how to cultivate their pro-life leadership skills. And literally two minutes after I had walked off the stage, after my presentation, the decision came out from at 10 o'clock wow. in the morning, Eastern time that Roe versus Wade had been overturned. Well, we, the, the cheers from these students, mm -hmm. these college students was deafening. It was bigger than any sports game I have ever been into in my life. And so we loaded these kids up on, on these buses. We got them out to the Supreme court. 
there was, uh, you know, mostly it was us because everybody was taken by surprise. Nobody thought this decision was going to be issued until the very end of the Supreme Court's term, which was next week, because the, the justices would want to issue this decision and then get out of there. You know, they had a secret way out because of the, the threats of violence against them. Right. Um, so we were all pretty surprised it came out so early. There was a small gathering of the pro-choice movement there that had been holding vigil. And the difference between the two was amazing. Mm. They were filled with rage and hate and venom. They were shouting every obscenity I'd ever heard and even plenty that I'd never heard before. <laughs> you wow. know, they were dressed like Satan, like demons, um, like witches. Um, you know, they were they were very angry, but God thank God they were restrained. Our side was joyful. These kids were such, they were such youthful, joyful people. They had a bubble machine. You know, I was like, why are we blowing bubbles? This is kind of funny. You know, they were cheering, they were singing, they were praying, they were smiling and waving to the other side and shouting, we love you. We're here for you. The difference was so amazing. And this is what I was to answer your question. This is what I was talking about before. You have to move in the human heart where the human heart is at. After we were done, it was so hot. It was like 90 degrees outside. We went to our Walgreens to get a drink. I took four of the kids with me to get a drink. And I'm, we go up to the, we're in line and we get up there and there's a clerk, a young woman who's like maybe 20 years old, maybe 19. She's checking us out with our drinks and um, she's looking at her shirts and the the kids are all wearing these red shirts that say pro-life generation or something like that. And she says, pro-life, she says, what side are you on? And one of the students that I just trained says, we're against abortion. So Mm. we're really happy today. And the woman says, oh, well, I'm pro-choice. And so this student thought, I mean, she took to heart what she'd been taught. And she said, can you tell me why you're pro-choice? And so the woman said, she was shocked. She was like, oh, you're going to talk to me. So she says, she starts saying, well, I believe in a woman's choice and right to decide what she wants to do with her own body. And she goes on and on like that. And um, and the the students are just nodding their head and listening like they understand. So she stopped talking and she says, would you be willing to tell me why you're pro-life? Mm. Wow, we got a chance to evangelize wow. this woman in Walgreens behind mm. the checkout counter. So these kids were so lovingly saying, well, we agree with you that choice is important and we're all girls. We'd like to be free and have freedom of choice, but it's a human being. And I think sure. you know that. And so we just think we should solve problems in better ways than killing people, don't you? And the woman was sitting there nodding her head. Well, I looked and there's this line of people behind me, 15 people waiting at the (laughs) checkout line. And they were dead quiet with eyes wide open and their jaws on the floor, just listening to this conversation. Right. I don't know where they stood on the issue, but they were like, they knew what had just happened at the Supreme Court. And they were like, oh, boy, this is here. We're getting into it here in the Walgreens. And so I thought I better kind of end this. So I I looked at the young woman and I said, you know, we, we don't want you to get in trouble. You need to tend to these other people who need their drinks. But I said, we'll pray for you would you pray for us to be better witnesses to the truth? And she said, yes, I will. Mm. So her name, her name is destiny. So pray for destiny because there's lots of destinies out there who just don't know what we're like and what the movement is like. And, and they don't know the truth. Was there ever a time over the last, you know, 50 years where you're just getting really frustrated because you you said like the movement itself, we have a March for life in Ottawa. We usually do local ones in in Alberta as well in Edmonton every year. It's so peaceful. And when you go there, you get (laughs) so much peace because there's so many children, so many (laughs) great moms. And, 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 you know, too, for, for the the gentlemen out there, for our fellows, you know, it's, it's a powerful witness. And and so many women have come up to me and said, Hey, thanks for coming. It's just nice to see men coming Mm -hmm. out to these events too. And and we need you to come out, you know, don't be shy. (laughs) 
you know, be, be leaders in your family and in your community. Right. But, you know, when you saw like the violence of last year, Camille, you know, across the United States, you know, we saw this, this, you know, the looting, the burning, the, the pillaging of the cities and um, the violence. And you saw a lot of that side get what they wanted, you know, whether that was defunding police, uh, you know, we don't even have to get into all the details, but, you know, we saw that all around the world. We saw that, and even in Canada, but not to say that we weren't doing crazy stuff like that in our own country. Um, when you see, you know, the, the violent actions like that, and I think young people see that and they see that, you know, somehow they were getting results with that. But the, the pro-life movement over the years has not been a violent movement, but just it just didn't seem like there's been any progress for such a long time. Did you ever get that feeling over the years? It's just like, you know, we're seeing what's happening, you know, on the other side where it's, it's not peaceful at all. And yet there's, you know, there's movement. Does that make sense? I don't know. Have you ever it does make sense. Years? And I think that's a really great question, David. And I think it depends on our expectations. We have to keep our expectations in check right. because if our expectations are that people who follow Satan's call are going to be just like us or ought to be just like us, then your expectations are wrong and you will be frustrated right? They're, they're not going to be like us in their tactics because there's, they're fo following the father of all lies. So if we expect that people who follow Satan are going to be empty, dark, they're in such a dark place. I can't imagine how much pain these people are in, how much they've suffered to be in such a dark place as they are in. If, if you realize what a dark place they're in, then you expect that they're going to be filled with rage, hate, anger, violence. They will use any tactic because they don't know what else to do. The, the, the primal scream is the only thing that frees them momentarily from that pain. And so they do it. If you understand that you can't get frustrated with them, instead you feel empathy mm. and then you feel a deep love. And then you feel a yearning for them to come where we are. The only person I've ever been really frustrated with in my thir 30 years of pro-life evangelization is myself mm. because of the amount of times that I have turned away from holiness and my response to people who mm. needed me to be holy at that moment. Pro-life work is easy. It's holiness. I find hard, <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. You know, and that's they need to see our witness more than anything. Well, I think that's related to my the next question I wanted to ask you, and that's us as Catholics, and we have non-Catholics that listen to, and, and thank you for listening. I love hearing from all of you as well. But it's the same call of holiness for everybody, but specifically Catholics. You know, you think of the um, the lack of belief in the Holy Eucharist, right? Camille, we don't have that, that belief that, that we should have. I think it's like 30% of people that actually go to church every Sunday. Uh, we don't go to confession often, you know, we, do we pray enough? I don't think we're doing all those things. So how important is it for us to, to yes, to be active and to be, um, uh, you know, in the community and, and being advocates for pro-life, but how important is it for us to, to take that retreat back to Christ and to, to live that sacramental life? What does that mean to you? If your advocacy in pro-life work is preventing you from taking the time to go on a retreat, to go to daily mass, to receive the sacraments, to go to confession frequently, to pray the rosary, to do those mm. sorts of things that bring us closer to Christ, then you need to stop your pro-life activism because you're not doing any mm. good. Mm -hmm. It's like a, a hollow sound or a, a, an empty gong or an empty tomb, right? All, all those right. things that Jesus talked about. We, we need holiness first, activism second, and that's mm. how Christ is going to enter the world. Christ doesn't enter the world through our activism. He enters the world through our holiness. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That's beautiful. Yeah. And through the sacraments, right. And through, through the Eucharist, man, that's, that's awesome. And that's a good reminder for all of us for sure. So, um, so when it comes to, to your ministry and, and what you're up to, um, you know, with, uh, healing the culture, 
now that we've had this this Roe versus Wade decision, what what is the the future looking like? Does this change your approach to to uh, to your advocacy now? Or what what are your plans? No, now? it doesn't change our approach at all. It'll it'll change the approach of people who work in politics. Um, so that will be good. My husband's uh, focus will be very, uh, you know, a lot the same, but but somewhat different as well. And and more working on the on the national realm now that that's an open door for us. My work will stay the same. Educational work will always stay the same. Um, our approach will be the same. Healing the culture has a multitude of tools that your listeners can access and that those aren't, who aren't familiar with the pro-life movement can take a look at. It's all on healingthecultureculture.com. There are free resources there for college students, adults. We have a high school program called Principles and Choices um, that uh, schools, your schools in Canada can use in the classroom, uh, probably not in a public school, it mostly religious schools. And then we have a really neat online free program called Philo and Sophie which is sort of a Sesame Street style video program for little kids that teaches them pro-life principles without even talking about abortion or euthanasia. Mm-hmm. We, we maintain their innocence, but we equip them with all of the philosophy they're going to need to defeat the bad arguments by the other side when they're old enough to start hearing about abortion. It's called Philo and Sophie. It's little puppet cartoons and songs and uh, very high quality, you know, little 12 minute videos and vignettes. And there's even teacher and parent tools. So you can use it in a religious education program or in a school, an elementary school or one-on-one with your child or your grandchild. It's all free. Oh, I'm excited about that. I, I heard that uh, that's going to be on Salt and Light TV. Yes. Is that, okay, so Salt that's and up Light in Television yeah. is broadcasting it, Philo and Sophie, Perfect. this month, as a matter of fact. And Good. if you miss the episodes on television, you can get them online at healingtheculture.com. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. We're yeah. going to make sure we put that in the show notes too. Yeah. We've got a lot of listeners that obviously EWTN is, is big up in Canada as well, but Salt and Light is uh, out of Toronto and a lot of folks watch that as well. For for us in Canada, I just wanted to, to, um, to ask your advice, I guess, Camille, on what, what you'd see for, for us here. Cause like I said, we have no laws. Uh, I think uh, I was just looking under the criminal code here the other day and it says that a, a child only becomes a human being when it's completely leaves the body of its mother so yeah. you know of course that has uh, opened the doors to all kinds mm-hmm. of frightening realities for these these poor children right uh our our government's also made several statements that uh suggest maybe even the charitable tax status of of pregnancy centers is going to be at risk so sure. we talked a little bit about yep. that earlier but can you give us some advice up here in canada because uh, yeah we're, we're so far behind um <laughs> you know it's been th- like this since 1969. I was born in 81. So this is a uh, reality oh, I've, wow. I've loved this my, my whole life. But uh, well, um, yeah, how can we make a difference? I, up here? I'm a lot older than you are, David. I was born in, uh, in 1968 and abortion has been legal almost my entire life. Right. And I would tell you this, that if we could accomplish, well, I never thought I'd see the reversal of Roe versus Wade in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. If we could do what we did in this country, uh, on Friday, you can certainly achieve uh, benefits for the unborn child in Canada. Our cultures are so, they have a lot in common. I know there's a lot of differences too, but we have a lot in common. And I think the attitude in, of the people um, comes from the same culture, right? We're watching the same television, the same news, the same marketing strategies, the same politics, you know, kind of what's what's affecting our politics is affecting yours, the same social media usage. If we can accomplish that here, you can accomplish it there. And you've got a lot of pro-life strength in your country. I've been there. I've spoken there many times. I've educated many times. I've trained literally thousands of Canadians in our methodologies. And uh, I would just, my, my biggest tip for Canadians would be don't lose your hope. Mm. Don't lose hope. That's what Satan wants. And when, and, and 
the fact that he is so unhinged right now in the United States tells you how much he's lost. You know, Bishop Peter Mewich, our bishop here at Rapid City, South Dakota Diocese, told us uh, this Satan is not going to be joyful about this. And he is not. Why? Because it's a loss. He's lost so much ground in this next generation of young people who've been wounded and so many of them destroyed by the lies of abortion and they know it by the lies of the sexual revolution and they know it. So don't lose hope. Because, don't pay attention. And, and I give you the second tip. Stop watching so much TV. <laughs> Stop being so on social media. Those things are yeah. killing you. They're, they're not just killing your soul and your family time. They're mm. also killing your perception about what's reality and what's really going on. You're seeing this tiny bit of what they want you to see in order to keep you quiet and keep you afraid and think you're in the minority. You are not in the minority. We got rid of our television set when our children turned you know, old enough to start to understand language. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't wanna look back. I just love not having a TV. You can get your news in other ways that you can control. Yes. Don't let things come into your household that are gonna affect your hope and your knowledge that you can do something to make a difference. Awesome. That's powerful. Thank you very much. No, that's great. And uh, yeah, we've got a lot of work to do in Canada. And I guess, like you said, just uh, um, holiness is so key. And, you know, Padre Pio said that too, right? It's uh, um, the spiritual weapons that we need. And, and one of them for sure is the rosary and our own personal holiness. It, it makes such a big difference. We so. try to pray that rosary every day. It's so valuable. What a tool and what a gift. Absolutely. Um, I got a million more questions to ask you. I thank you for your time. Maybe one day we can try to track you down and bring you on again. I just uh, love loved to, your, your insights and your, uh, your commentary has been just so, so great. Thank you so much for, uh, for blessing us with, uh, with this interview. How can people get a hold of you again and, and your ministry? Sure. Healingtheculture.com is our website. You can access all of our resources right on that website. And you can also uh, contact me or any of my staff through our web pages, healingtheculture.com. Wow, what a fantastic uh, blessing it was to catch up with Camille Pauly from Healing the Culture. Again, the website, hey guys, write it on your shoes if you forget, healingtheculture.com. What a fantastic ministry and uh, my sincere prayers and from all of our listeners to Camille and all our staff uh, for the continued good work that they're doing. It's not always easy being in the pro-life movement, but boy, we're seeing a lot of positive movement right now and that comes from years of dedication and uh and uh, persistence, but also prayer and holiness. And let's all keep striving for that in the church. It's so important that we live that sacramental life and the good fruits will come. We just got to keep knocking on that door of holiness and our Lord will grant that to us 100%. I wanted to say that um, uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church has a lot of interesting things to say about all kinds of life issues, in particular uh, sections 2270 through 2275. So I'm going to read just a, an excerpt from uh, reference number 2270. It says, Human life must be respected and protected absolutely from the moment of conception. From the first moment of his existence, a human being must be recognized as having the rights of a person, among which is the inviolable right of every innocent being to life. And underneath, there's a couple references to scripture as well from the Old Testament. Uh, the first one, some of you already heard this one, it's, it's beautiful. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And then there's another one from the book of Psalm. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately wrought in the depths of the earth. So again, a big thank you to Camille Pauly for joining us on this episode of the Catholic Connect podcast. And thank you for listening, everyone. 
Remember, we're on Facebook, on Twitter, or all over social media, and we're on all your favorite podcast platforms. I'd love to see you drop a review and send me a note anytime. I love conversing and uh, and meeting so many of you from all around the world. What a great universal church we belong to. It is such a blessing. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving the church on earth so that we can have each other on this journey towards heaven. Well, what do we got to do, everyone? We know that uh, Camille gave us a great example of what it means to be an authentic witness to the pro-life movement and changing this culture uh, through holiness. And for us Catholics, we know what we've got to do. First, we've got to be living life in a state of grace, receiving the Eucharist worthily and living a sacramental life. And that means going to confession often, at least three times every year, every Lent, every Advent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin, Don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.